Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 28th day of October 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and where I'm looking, I'm actually going to look out the window. And I can see the campus of Stanford University. And if someone hits a high pop-up, then I very well could detect exactly where Sunken Diamond is. And if you're wondering, that's the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. A little convoluted way of getting through the intro today. But you know what? Who cares? Who cares? Um, It is the day of Game 3 of the World Series between Chicago and Cleveland. And... Boy, that still sounds weird. It's still it's still strange to me that in a few days, either the Cubs or the Cleveland Indians will be world champions. And while I'm rooting for the Indians, part of me is really rooting for seven games. Part of me is really rooting for seven games. Now, I'm posting this in the afternoon. Chances are you're going to hear this after Game 3 has played, so you already know what happened. Josh Tomlin's pitching, Hendricks is pitching. There's a great story of Tomlin's father, who is ill, who is, what is it? He, I mean, it's really serious. Um, he, his father has, um, I believe he's paralyzed, is, is what's going on there. But, um, yeah, he's paralyzed from the chest down, and he's being trapped there. Tra- bring him to Wrigley Field to go see his son pitch in the World Series. And that's, I mean, look, it. even if you're a Cub fan, you, you've got to get a little bit of teary-eyed on that. I'm picturing the, the great comic and friend of the podcast, Aaron Foley, who is a huge sports fan and cries at everything. She's constantly, if you listen to her sports podcast, which is my favorite sports podcast called Sports Without Balls, Every episode, she talks about, like, I watched this and I just burst out crying, no matter what, especially during the Olympics when there's all these feel-good stories. But, you know, they're bringing all, they're wheeling everything out, this this um, World Series. No matter what, you're going to cut to some grandma or grandpa with either an Indian's hat or a Cubs hat and a lot of hugging, a lot of crying. It's just, there's, you know, the Chapman thing, obviously... Uh, is a big factor, and if they win the World Series, I still don't want the shot to be Chapman. I haven't backed down from that. Um, uh, but I do I do acknowledge the happiness that a Cubs championship would bring to so many people and, and the proverbial weight off the shoulders off of so many people, and, and not just, you know, in the current players, but, you know, the Leon Durhams, the... The Mark Pryors, the Alex Gonzalez. I'm not going to say Steve Bartman because, do you know what? He didn't deserve any of the pressure. But also the Indians and the Indians fans. and the If the Indians are on the verge of winning the World Series, I want to have a permanent camera, maybe even a web camera, on Jose Mesa. Just wherever the hell Jose Mesa is, I just want to see his face when they finally win. So, okay, can you stop? Showing those clips. Can you please stop showing those clips? Thank you very much. You know, I mean, I hope that they, you know, the Indians, if they win the World Series, there should be a luxury box filled with 
all the Indian greats, you know, I mean, Sandy Alomar's in uniform, but, you know, bring back Viscal, bring back, you know, Bayerga and Albert Bell and Kenny Lofton and Charles Nagy and all of them, and bring back Andre Thornton, bring back Julio Franco, bring back, you know, I mean, just everyone who was, <laughs> everyone going back to 48, you know, there's going to be a tremendous amount of relief that is going to come up from this. And it's going to be, there's going to be tears no matter what. Now, there may be tears, and there's also, those tears come at a potential price. You know, I saw that there was something going on that some of the World Series tickets, because it's the first time a World Series game has been played in Wrigley Field, not in Chicago, but in Wrigley Field since 1945, the last time the World Series was played in Chicago. You have to go all the way back to 2005 when two games were played at U.S. Cellular Field the year the White Sox won the World Series, a fact that still is lost on so many people following baseball. But it's the first time it's been in Wrigley Field, since 1945, and it was, you know, the, the White Sox no longer play in Comiskey Park. They play in the new stadium, which is next to the site of Comiskey Park, uh, so, but the, the Cubs are playing in the same stadium. It's still Wrigley Field. When they lost to the Tigers in 1945, it was Wrigley Field, and so it's the same place, and some seats are being sold in the millions, the millions. Someone posted a picture that it was like for $2,100,000 and $4 for tickets, which are pretty good. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're seven figures, I expect good seats. When you're seven figures, I mean, I mean granted, a million doesn't buy what it used to, but you could at least sign a, um, a utility infielder for that, right? And I saw that. Now, I'm not rich. I'm not a sultan. I have no kingdom. I have no fiefdom. I'm just a guy who makes videos for a living and does podcasts when he can. So the idea of dropping two million pigs on something um, is really I don't know, a little disconcerting to me. It makes me think that it's probably not going to be a blue-collar crowd at Wrigley Field. It's not going to be a bunch of the people from Joe Montana's Bleacher Bums. You know, just the good old-fashioned people from the neighborhood stopping by to see the World Series. No, not when you have to drop two million tomatoes to see the game. You know, your pal Sully loves the Pacific Northwest. I love the northwestern region of the country. And I went to try to see, well, what would two million get me in, like, a nice college town in Oregon. I went to Corvallis, and for $1.9 million, I saw this five-bedroom, 7,000-square-foot mansion within walking distance of the campus of Oregon State University. Corvallis is a beautiful town. Oregon State University is a wonderful college, and I would have a mansion. I could live there. I could, I could, I would... If I had a 7,000-square-foot house with a huge lawn and everything, I would be dressed like the Monopoly man every day with a monocle and a cane and be looking out there. And, and, and my cane would have like a giant, like a, a, the little amber thing with a mosquito that John Hammond had from Jurassic Park. And I would just stand out there and say, welcome to Sully Park. And I would just have my own... 
I would have my own podcasting studio and everything and living in a beautiful town and I my, my whole family, my parents, my brother, my sister-in-laws, both my sister-in-laws and my in-laws, everyone would live there and I would be the domain. I would have this great home or I would have a narrow seat in Wrigley Field and looking at the game, it will probably be a cold night. I, I, I mean, that's, that's the choice you can make. Mansion in Corvallis, one ticket in Wrigley Field. And someone's going to buy that ticket because they're not going to cut to that seat and see it empty. I don't know if they'll get the full $2 million, but still, that, that's, that, that's a decision. And the first thing I thought of when I saw $2 million, which, by the way, I did not put in a bid for, but when I saw $2 million, the first thing I thought of was not what a waste of money or, man, if someone did that, I hope they're donating millions of dollars for charity and everything. But I thought, what if the game sucks? Seriously, I've seen, you know, I'm, I'm a Red Sox fan. I am someone who loves my Red Sox. But there have been a few games when the Red Sox have played in the postseason that, oh, man, this sucks. This game just, this, oh, man, this game blows. And by the fifth inning, it's like, oh, man, this one's going to be a slog. I mean, I remember, I mean, I'll get to one specific game, but it's like, imagine if you've, you've dropped a, a, a figure that has two commas in it. And by the fifth inning, you're thinking, oh, man, I, I really don't want to be here. Like, if the Indians got off to a big lead or if it just was a boring, slow game, and they exist. They ain't all great. And you think, man, I had $2 million. Now someone else has $2 million. And I have a lousy game. I went to game three of the World Series in 2014 with my dad. It wasn't a bad game. It was a one-run game. But the Giants lost. And we were like, oh, man, well, at least we had this together. And my dad didn't turn to me and say, oh, by the way, son, I dropped $2 million on this. I was going to... You, you were going to inherit that, but instead, you, it's $2 million we spent on these seats to watch the Giants lose. I, mean, I get a little bit, Dad, we could have watched it on TV. We could have gone to the the old pro in, in Palo Alto or the Dutch Goose in Menlo Park and could have watched it there. Bought a couple of burgers and save $1,999,970. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But I remember when I was a kid, I'd been wanting my whole life to see the Red Sox in the World Series. They won the first two games of the 1986 World Series, and I was so excited that I was finally going to watch a World Series game in Fenway Park. Now, I didn't go there. I watched it from my living room. And I was so, my God, I can't believe I'm watching it. The Red Sox in the World Series, it's Fenway. They're up 2 nothing. This is the greatest day I'm, this is unbelievable. And do you remember what happened? The Mets scored four runs in the top of the first, and the game was basically over. The Red Sox lost the game 7-1. to one. The game sucked. Imagine dropping $2 million to watch that game. So I, I enjoy watching it from home. I love going to the game, but you know what? If you're starting to see the commas build up, eh, maybe time to think about another purchase you can make like a great house in Corvallis. I'm just saying. Um, one of the things that is interesting is at, at this point when I'm recording this, uh, games one and two are the only two games that have been played. So there's no real sense of the narrative of this World Series yet. 
the Cubs have taken home field advantage by winning game two. Game one was all about the Indians pitching. Kluber, Andrew Miller, and Cody Allen shut out the Cubs. Game two was all about Arietta's dominance at the beginning and Kyle Schwarber out of nowhere getting his big hits. So we're two games in, we don't really know anything yet. And sometimes you get the sense that you understand where a series is building to, where a series is going. And there have been times when that narrative just turns on a dime. It's like, okay, I get what this series is. I've kind of written it in my head. I know how it's going to end. I know what the story is. And it takes an abrupt turn. There's some series where it goes back and forth and back and forth. The World Series between Texas and St. Louis comes to mind, where one game the Rangers had the advantage, not the game the Cardinals. And you got a sense about four games into it, like, okay, this is, this is going seven. You know, there, no team is running away with this series. You know, Arizona versus New York, obviously those two great home runs by Brocious and Tino and the walk-off by Jeter turned the series um, from a potential Diamondback sweep to one of the classic World Series of all time. But by game three, you guys, okay, the Yankees are probably going to push this. This is, this is not going to be, you know, the Diamondbacks aren't going to be winning this series four games to one in Yankee Stadium. Something big's going to happen. You just knew that was going to happen. But there's sometimes a series looks like it's unfolding in one way, and you're like, okay, I get it. I know where this is going. And suddenly it jolts in a completely different direction to the point when you look back at those early, the early narrative, you think, wow, I can't believe that was the same series. I'll, I'll give you a, a, one example that involved with me personally and involved my dad and I going to a playoff game. Uh, a couple of days before I got married in 2003, my father and I went to a playoff game in Oakland between the Red Sox and the A's. And the Red Sox got whumped. They lost game one in extra innings. The bullpen melted down. And they lost game two. It really wasn't much of a game. It was really kind of a boring game. I'm glad we didn't spend $2 million on that. And the Red Sox were down 2 nothing. They had already used Pedro Martinez. And the A's, who had just the year before, was the, the great 20-win 20-winning streak A's team that were stunned by Minnesota. Um, this looked like the year they were going to get revenge. Like, okay, we're done. We're done with this messing around. And they were up two games to none and still had great pitchers going games three and four. And when we were leaving Oakland, there was, I, mean, I was wearing my Red Sox hat and jacket, and some people were you know, giving me crap, like going, hey, uh, did you guys bring your broom? Oh, we did. Like we said, they're going to sweep them. And I kind of thought, yeah, this is probably not the Red Sox year. This is probably the A's year. And that seemed, certainly seemed to be the narrative. When game three went to extra innings, it looked like the A's were going to sweep, and A's had the lead late in game four as well. But the narrative turned in Boston. And when I look back, those first two games, the A's were so dominant. And that when you look at it, that if you had told me that that dominant A's team is going to wind up being having their heads hanging at the end of game five, I would have thought you were bananas. In the greatest swing of a narrative I ever saw in my life was in 1996. In 1996, 
the, the narrative was quite simple. The Yankees had made it back to the World Series. They had won the pennant they probably should have won in the strike season of 1994. But these were the Braves. The Braves who had lost a couple heartbreaking World Series and a heartbreaking League Championship Series, beat the Indians in 95, and now all they, they needed to win back-to-back -back titles and they would have their rightful place along with teams like the Big Red Machine or the Charlie Finley A's, that this was going to be, this is just, it was men versus boys. The Yankees were just happy to be here. And it was actually reminiscent of when the Yankees won the pennant in 76 and faced the Cincinnati Reds, and the Reds just clobbered them. And it was men versus boys. First two games were at Yankee Stadium. The scores were 12 to 1 and 4 to nothing. It wasn't, it, it was kind of sad. And while the Yankees pulled off a win in game three, the Braves took a 6 nothing lead in game four. And I remember watching a game with my brother and my sister in law. And my sister-in-law saying, this is boring. The Braves are just killing them. And then, in the eighth inning, Layritz hits the home run. The Yankees win that game. They win the next game 1-0. And they win the finale 3-2 at Yankee Stadium. Which means the, those first two games, the narrative turned. You thought you knew what this was. And then it turned in a different direction. I mentioned that game three between the Mets and the Red Sox, how fast that narrative went. The Red Sox won the first two games. They were going back to Fenway Park. They just need to go win two out of three at Fenway Park, and this Mets team that looked like they were reeling were going to be done. And they scored four runs in that first. Lenny Dykstra hit the home run and turned the, the fortunes of the series around. Everyone remembers the 10th inning. Everyone remembers... The fact the Red Sox were one strike away and all that, yes. And that was, of course, the beginning. But if the Red Sox had not let up four runs in the first inning of game three, I wonder what would have happened. I wonder, because Oil Game Boyne settled down, I wonder what would have happened if the Red Sox had actually won that game three, then there, there would have been, it would have been a totally different series. The narrative changed. One of the most significant narrative changes I've ever seen in my life, where the entire series looked like it was being written in one way, and then with one swing of the bat, it turned in a direction that just seemed like it was surreal, happened two years after that 86 World Series. In what I think is one of the most underrated postseason series I've ever seen in my life was between the Dodgers and the Mets. Because the Dodgers had the narrative that they got into the World Series on the strength of Oral Hershiser's great season. And Kirk Gibson firing the team up and blah, 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 blah. It was on the back of Hershiser and what he meant to that team. And if the, if the Dodgers could win all of Hershiser's starts, they'd have a chance. If the Mets beat Hershiser or won the starts that he threw, then the Dodgers better start saying, hey, we're happy to be here. And if you remember what happened that game one, Hershiser kept the Mets scoreless until the ninth. And then they started rallying. They brought in Jay Howell to close out the game, and Jay Howell let up three runs in the ninth inning. And the Mets won the game that Hershiser started. And I remember my brother and I watching the game thinking, this is a sweep. If they can't win the Hershiser game, this is a sweep.
Now, the Dodgers somehow won the second game, but then there was a rain delay, and Hershiser pitched the third game. And do you remember what happened there? Again, he had a lead, but again, the bullpen collapsed, and that was the day that Jay Howell was discovered he had pine tar in his glove and got ejected. So you're looking at game three. The whole idea was they have to win all the Hershiser starts and win one more. And this one, they lost both of the Hershiser starts and didn't have a closer. So the narrative was already written. Men versus boys. This Mets team is just going to clobber them. The Dodgers got lucky and got one, you know, got one win, but this is just ridiculous. And Gooden had uh, a lead in the ninth inning, was throwing a, a complete game. The place was going bananas because Gooden had never won a postseason game before, so he was going to be on the mound. Mets were going to have a 3-1 lead. It was going to be the Mets-A's clash that everyone was anticipating. And the narrative was, was clearer than day. And then Sosha hit the home run, tied the game. And from that moment, the Dodgers took control of the series. Hershiser came out of the bullpen, and Hershiser threw a complete game shutout in Game 7. So Hershiser was still the narrative, but it turned. And what I'm saying is this. You could have a sense of what a series is a couple of games into it, but you also could be completely wrong. The narrative of the 2016 World Series will be clear in hindsight. But right now, no matter what happens today, whether the Indians win 15 to nothing, whether Hendricks throws a complete game shutout, whether it's a 14-inning game and it's one on a bottom of the 14th error, there's no way we're really going to know how this is going to unfold. The Indians are going to be up 2-1. The Cubs are going to be up 2-1. One of those things are going to happen. But even with them up 2-1, we're not sure where this is going. And neither do you. And if you don't believe me, remember that moment when my sister-in-law said, this is boring, because she knew what was happening. It was so predictable. And from that moment on, the exact opposite happened. It's all worth watching. I just don't know if it's worth paying two million bucks for. I'm just saying. So enjoy the game tonight. Go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, Sorev, and iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This podcast is worth two million bucks to me, and I'd like to find the person who would be willing to pay that. If that's you, please send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com and work something out through PayPal. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for what the hell day is it? It is the 28th day of October 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.